Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of The Modern Mind with today's guest Pasha Munro. Former elite Royal Marine Commando turned special boat service, Pasha is an expert in the Arctic, the mountains, the jungle and survival with a specialism towards the end of his career in diving. Pasha shares with us his challenging background as a child and how that has fueled him towards the military, how he's always been very competitive with himself, how much he's learned from the community of the military and the highlights of what was a very long serving career. We explore the lessons that he's learned along the way, the challenges of the extreme environments he became a specialist in, and ultimately how he was driven to do things that were fulfilling and enjoyable to him. He was drawn to environments that were exciting, and that has underpinned a very, very reputable career. We even discussed Pasha's opinion on the recent Ocean Gate scandal, given his expertise as a specialist diver, and discuss a whole lot more. Expect to reconsider why you do the things that you do, how you channel your upbringing into what you focus on now, and how you manifest your competitive nature in today's episode. But before we dive into today's conversation, it is important to ask a few things from you. If you would be so kind as to rate and or review the show on whatever platform you're listening on, share this episode or an episode previously with a friend, and please do check us out on YouTube as well as sign up to the mailing list down below. That would be exceptionally exciting for me and you will put a smile on my face thank you very much please do also make sure to hit follow or subscribe from wherever you are listening from and if you'd stick around for a little bit longer i can share with you today's fantastic sponsors as without them there would be no show First up, we have Vivo Barefoot, who could well be the hack that you didn't know you needed. A study out of Liverpool University in 2021 has shown that by wearing a pair of Vivos for just six months can improve your foot strength by up to 60%. And for those of you listening that are into your health and fitness, I must ask the question as to why you would turn down such an opportunity. But how does this translate to the real world, you ask? Well, speaking from experience, I've been wearing Vivos for over four years now, and I love them. I'm in them 99% of the time, day to day. I'm walking in them, I'm in the gym in them, I'm trail running in them. I wear conventional running trainers for longer distance running, and I've got some sort of smarter dress shoes or dress sneakers that I wear for special, more formal occasions. But 99% of the time, I am in Vivos, and I could not go back, to be honest. My feet are stronger, my ankles are more reinforced, I have better proprioception from the ground upwards, I have very little interference between the ground and my movement patterns in the gym, and that has made me stronger overall. So if you would like to reap the rewards and feel the benefits for yourself, I recommend that you get a pair of Vivos for a day-to-day activity, whether it's walking the dog, commuting to work, give them a go, and if you love them as much as I do, you may well end up with a arsenal of footwear like I do. If you don't love them, then, well, now you know. And if you would like to give them a go, then use the code FergusVivo to save yourself 10% off at checkout and let me know how you get on over social media. Next up, we have Man Cave, who are, without a doubt, the UK's most exciting men's grooming business. Based out of the Peak District and sold nationwide, they are 100% recyclable, 100% cruelty-free, and 100% natural, which means that you can have confidence in the quality of the product that you are using to look great, smell great, and feel great, which is the most important thing at the end of the day, is it not? They have everything from weird and wonderful smelling shower gels to hair product to black spice body scrub to beard oil and everything in between. And would love it if you guys gave their products a go if you haven't yet done so, as I've been using them for over a year now and really do swear by them. They are much better than a lot of off-the-shelf supermarket brands. And men, if you're listening using a three-in-one shampoo, body wash, conditioner thing, then it's time to step up your game because we're not teenagers anymore and you deserve better. So, if you're looking to capitalise on how much you deserve better, then use the code FC40 at checkout to save yourself 40% off, and please let me know how you get on over social media. 
Anyway, without any further ado, let's dive into today's episode with Mr. Pasha Munro. Pasha, how are you? I'm very well, very good, thanks. So, the media is awash with one thing in specific, in particular at the moment, and that is the submersible vessel that has gone down to see the Titanic, and as one of the few people that I've come across with diving experience that probably qualifies to comment what's your take on the whole situation i think i didn't know anything until obviously the media brought it all out but anybody who's going to go and do that particular adventure and sign in a waiver that, that there's no insurance and no one's done it etc etc i i i wouldn't be in a i wouldn't be doing anything like that absolutely i think um that's the, that's the same conclusion I've come to without the diving experience, to be honest. So I think yeah. Yeah, it's it's good yeah. to know that yeah we're we're singing from the same hymn sheet there. Yeah, but I'm I'm just quite I'm quite perplexed at how much media attention it's getting. But we'll we'll talk more about deep sea diving later on, as I know it's something you're you're rather excellent at. But I think it would have been remiss of me not to bring it up whilst it's yeah. the uh, the hot topic at the moment. But with that in mind, I think the best place to start for your story is actually with your upbringing, because I've heard about how life sort of began for you, that you were sort of around houses, there wasn't really much of a strong male role model, and that led you to a career in the military and ultimately the Special Forces. So I think understanding who you were in your younger years would be a great place to start. Yeah, so I I didn't have a particular good upbringing. Um, my father was one of the first kind of um, Bangladeshians to come over, if, if if you say it kind of like that. So it was difficult for me to grow up as an ethnic to start with, really, um, and very young, very young. Um, I think I was about four or five. He tr- he left my mother, and during that, he put me in the back of his car and took me to Heathrow to kidnap me. Um, and then I, I never knew throughout my career that until quite late on. But I was always a, a little um, claustrophobic, and I didn't. And I I just thought it was one of them things that you feel when you're in you're in them environments. But I think it was from being locked in a car for three or four hours, not knowing, et cetera, in the boot. So I'm, I'm glad later on, it, it took me nearly 50 years to understand that and, and realise what happened because I heard about it, but I didn't believe it. And then last year, I actually met my foster brother, sorry, my stepbrothers who, from my father who passed away. And, and that's how I found out it was all true. So... From from the age of five, he wasn't there. So it was a single parent. My, my, my mother's a single parent uh, in Scunthorpe. And a few a few years later on, she met my stepdad-to-be, which was a Scotsman, um, a very angry Scotsman, um, a very um, sociable, i.e. drinking a lot kind of Scottishman. I'm not saying they all are, but he, he was, and he, and he had a, a fierce temper. So we had to grow up with that, and he uh, didn't really have any time for us. So I, I, I used to go and look for food. Um, I used to go. There was a, a cash and carry that was behind, not far from our home, and I used to go in there after, after on an evening when it was closed and look in the bins to get food. Um, so yeah, it, it wasn't a very good upbringing. There, there was violence. We was in refuges battered women's refuges quite a few times i had a few different foster parents uh, ran away co- lots of times always getting caught i wasn't good at i wasn't good at e and e then uh, 
um, but yeah, it, and it led me to uh, then uh, t- towards my teenager years, I a few a few of my friends joined the cadets. So I, I joined the cadets, but I joined as a sea cadet. My, most of my friends was in in the marine cadets, but I actually liked being in the sea cadets because I was I, I was I was the that the I can't remember what you call it. The, I guess the the person who sits at the back and everyone's doing the pulling kind of thing. So I was the smallest. So I was oh, the the, the cox equivalent. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I enjoyed that and and I enjoyed canoeing. Uh, um, so the water, kind of looking back, was what I enjoyed. So, so potentially, well, when I was 16, I went to the careers office um, and asked to join the Royal Navy. Uh, and for some reason, I, 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 I don't know, the guy says, come back in six months. Um, and I, and I, didn't, I didn't, he didn't give me a reason. So I was like, all right. And I, and I, and I left and I thought, I'm, I'm better than that. <laughs> I actually, I, I had a bit of chip on my shoulder about it, uh, and I thought, right, I'm going to go for the Marines. I don't know anything about it, um, so I did a lot of, I did over six months training and really, really beasted myself. I, I knew what I had to do, um, but weirdly, when I applied, my mother, because she, she was with my stepfather, she'd never, she changed my name, but didn't do it. Right, so she didn't go through the processes of the depot, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So when I tried to join up, the, my name wasn't real, so I had to go back and do a proper depot to 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 get it real. So I had to wait a bit longer, which was fine. Um, but then I went to Limpston, did my three day. Um, I can't remember what you call it PR PRMC or something, what it's called, and that's just getting beasted for a weekend, and 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 I got a superior which all that hard work, it, it put me in a really good place. Um, and then a couple of months later, I joined up, uh, December 1991. Sounds like the unfortunate, and thank you for sharing with us, of course, sounds like a very, very difficult period of time. It sounds like it forced you to be fiercely independent and ambitious. Do you think that was something you wanted to prove to yourself? You wanted to prove to your mum? You wanted to prove something to your dad that wasn't there anymore? What do you think it was that was driving you to work that hard and really... Where did that chip on the shoulder come from? What were you trying to prove? I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be in Scunthorpe. I, and I didn't want... There was nothing. Um, it, it's an industrial place. There's, there's the steelworks and that's the best part of employment. And and I've got a lot of energy, and I I wanted to go off and do something, to pr- do something good that I thought was good, and not look back. I didn't want to look back, and I, I and I didn't have the support from my parents anyway. They didn't really they signed the papers, of course, but they didn't really yeah go for it. And you know, um, I remember at weekends you'd have to uh, like a Saturday and Sunday evening you'd try to line up and uh, and ring home. And um, there was actually no point because I tried it a few times and no one, you know, my dad would be drunk or something. So there was there was not there was there was no need. So I didn't ever really ring home. And the first week we got there, we had, we got told to write a letter home to say, you know, we're here, everything's good. And I I I, I never posted it because I didn't believe that anyone would be bothered at the at the other end. Sounds like you want to escape in many ways. Yeah, abs- yeah, absolutely, uh, absolutely. And what I thought. When, when I went through the cadets and the, the, the people who I grew up with, I liked the, 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 the male t- bonding, being in a team. 
I, I like that more than particularly my my family. Horrible to say, but that that's that's I I felt a better a, a better support and closer to them than, than than my family, my tribe, as it were. Yep. Yeah, which is a very common theme throughout the military, isn't it? It's it's the camaraderie, it's the brotherhood, it's the yeah. you you die for the man next to you, and and you wouldn't look back or, yeah. or think twice. But with that in mind, do you think there was any late development for you in terms of emotional awareness, in terms of social interaction, in terms of how to present yourself, in terms of mannerisms, all these things that come with having strong parental figures in the household? But as you joined and found your tribe. Do you feel like you were a little bit behind in some elements and they taught you, they brought yeah. you up? Or do you Absolutely. feel like actually your independence got you to the point where you didn't need to move things forwards too much? No, um, being, you know, hand on heart, I, I was emotional and hid that um, and kind of scared, but I, I, I tried to hide it all the time. Um, and I, I'd go off and have a, have a bit of my space just to, just to gather myself up because... Because I was kind of a bit weak, um, and I, I didn't know how to pass that on, or or ask for help, or because you, you was too hard to ask for help or anything like that. You know, you wouldn't ever do that. Um, so it was all it was all hidden, uh, and, and you know, I, I wasn't afraid to cry. To be honest, as a man, I, I wasn't afraid to cry. Um, so I was I was behind. I don't know what the curve is, but I, I was I was behind in in the tribe being being a man. If you see what I mean. What do you think were the quickest lessons? Then what were the things that you you picked up immediately that came from just having that group of role models, that common goal, that purpose? What were the sort of characteristics that were there waiting for you on the table just by having that community? Um, I think. I think you learn to trust people quicker because you, cause you have to, because there's nobody else. Uh, and because, because I, it was all new to me and people were getting, pick, picking up things quicker. I had to trust people to, to kind of be with them to see how they was doing it because I didn't have a clue. And, and I was quite, I was quite, I'd say quite weak. So I, I was learning from other people quicker rather than, you know, rather than seeing what we're meant to do from potential potentially the instructors, I was learning more from the people around me because I could I, I could learn from them better. It's as if you, you had more faith in those around you than you did the perceived authority figures yeah. because the authority yeah. figures in your life had never given you what they might have given others in their lives. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I, I, I was bonding better, I suppose, with, with the guys because... because Potentially, great. I did have a brother and a sister, but we was we wasn't particularly close. So, I was giving myself out to, to potentially to be loved, I guess, because I never had, I never was loved. That's where the support mechanisms mechanisms will have brought out the best in you as well. And I think that's the real crux of this because you're you're not particularly. If we distill this down to exactly what it is. You, you you weren't particularly unique in the sort of the, the real bare bones of who you were when you arrived at the Marines, which is somebody that didn't have a purpose in their life, maybe lacked role models and wanted to be loved. That's not an uncommon sort of set of characteristics, is it? And you found your brotherhood, you found your community, you found your purpose, and that was completely 
revitalizing for you and has yeah. set up a 26-year career in the military that has gone from strength to strength. So once you joined, what were the what were the initial things that helped you find the exposure and the confidence to tackle that fear, to tackle that weakness that you've referred to so that you could move forwards? Because obviously your career has gone from strength to strength as the years have developed, but you yourself have said that you were a little bit scared, a little bit intimidated, wanting to learn from others. So what were the initial experiences, scenarios that really developed you as a young man? It was my fitness. I was pretty fit. Um, and not smoking my own, you know, I, I was, I, so potentially the tests that you do dur- during, during, during the command, uh, during the training and potentially further on in my career, I was, I was always up there trying, not necessarily breaking records or things like that, but I was on the level of, I could have, well, I went on the, on, on the Royal Navy boxing team for a year. So I, I was always high at, and I was respected because of that more than particularly at the start, my soldiering, because my soldiering, I wasn't good at soldiering to start with because nobody is really. So it was mostly my fitness and going out and doing my own fitness. And then when I'm with a team or um, the troop, when I'm doing it with them, I'd always stand out. So people would like me because he's, he's the fit guy kind of thing. So I learned quite quickly that I was good at that. So I kept on, pushing myself further and further and being good at it and then doing extra training. And th- then that was, you know, quite, quite soon on, I, 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 le- I learned a bit about the special forces and then people were telling me, you know, you should have a go at that because your, your fitness is pretty freaking pretty good, you know? And so it was more of people telling me to start with going, going down that route, which, which gives you morale and, and confidence to actually, put it into your mind and think, oh, I actually can do this because I don't know what's what the other part, the, 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 the soldiering bit's about. But if people are saying I can pass the selection and everything, then then let's go for it. So what did that process look like from there, that, that seed being planted in your head and obviously moving towards UKSF selection? What happened next? Absolutely got smashed. So in <laughs> 1996... Um, there's two selections a year, so one in January, one in June-ish, something like that. And I went in January on the winter course. And when when you go to to go for the SBS, then you come to pool for two weeks prior, and you get beasted. Totally wrong thinking about it now, but you get beasted to try and get your fizz up, which you shouldn't really. You should be relaxing by then and and, and preparing yourself and eating. So I'm not a very big person, and that I'm not saying it, it, I'm blaming that, but it didn't help that I was quite tired at the at the start of the proper selection then. So at the end of the hills, I, I wasn't good enough, so I failed. So I went back to the unit, absolutely, you know, chin flipping. I, I, I wasn't expecting, I'd never failed anything really on the physical side. And then I thought, right, I'm, I'm putting back in for it. So I put back in for it for the summer. Hindsight, I should have waited. I went back in the summer and did exactly the same, failed it. The same, I think it was the same actual test. Um, absolutely got it. And that was me then. I, I, I'd had my chances. So I went back to the units and I, I was a mess. I was, um, because I, 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 before I went on selection, I was on the boxing team. So I was, I was pretty good at boxing. And then 
I started drinking and then I got in trouble quite a lot for a few years. I got into trouble and, and then, yeah, I went to military prison for it. What was that experience like? Because the the, the, the fall from grace as such it was quite dramatic, wasn't it? It was essentially a real, real spike in ambition that came crashing down quite aggressively. And perhaps the lack of development, emotional awareness, lack of exposure to failure with support around you that you might be missing growing up left you very unprepared for when that first real failure came along. I was exposed. So, yeah, yeah, vulnerable, vulnerable. And you, you hadn't really had, you hadn't really had, an, since you discovered your, your black and white hard work equals outputs metric system, you hadn't really had a knock, had you? No. And then you'd had two big knocks in six months, effectively. Yeah. yeah. So, Logic says we, we, we can see where the downturn came from, but obviously leading to what it did was an, an unfortunate set of circumstances. But but what happened in that experience with military prison and how did you come out the back end? Well, after I, I, uh, I, I went to the military prison, came out, I was going to leave the military. That was me. That's all I ever wanted to do. And... And I and for some I, I don't actually know what it was, but I got a spark back in me, and I thought, right, I'm going to turn this round now, uh, and I, I want to stay. I'm I'm going to stay, and I'll keep going. I, I was in a mortar troop, and they gave me my first um, command course, as it were. So I went off and did that, and I, I, and it gave me a bit more. I was back in. I got keen again. I was like, I'm actually all right. I'm I'm good at doing that anyway. So let's let's go for that. So for the first couple of years, the early 2000s, I was a motor fire controller. But there was still something there. I was still ambitious. Still, ex I still wanted something. It wasn't enough. I, I, I personally thought I was better than everyone else who I was working around. Not saying it to them or anything like that, but I thought there's, there's more of me. So I was just, we went to Northern Ireland and, and I did, this, this was my third tour. And I was like, right, what, how can I kind of get out this Northern Ireland trip. And there was um, the Royal Marines Mountain Leaders. That's the most nailed course in the Royal Marines. So I, I'm going to go for that. So I, I left Northern Ireland and my, my Sergeant Major was a mountain leader and he verified me. I didn't have to go and do kind of a selection or anything like that because I was on operations. He, and he kind of put his name on for me and said, I'm good enough to, to actually go and do the course. So that's how, why I, how did how did that feel in that moment? Because that 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 must have been the first moment where you had somebody support and vouch for you in a real supportive setting since prison. Uh, because yeah, yeah. effectively, that the, the the guilt and shame that I'm sure inevitably came from yeah. having that spark back, thinking, oh, oh, I can't believe I've sort of put myself in this position. But here I am again. It must have been really rewarding to have that senior male figure give you a tick and say, look, on you go, son. I trust you. Absolutely, because he was a big figure within the whole unit. Um, he he was a mountain of a man, and he was tough, and, and people did mess with him. So it was really, really, really good for my morale that he put my name in and sat me in his office and says, right, yeah, I'm, I'm more than happy to put you in for it. Your course starts here. Get out of Ireland and do a few weeks flipping training and, and don't let me down kind of thing. What was the mountain leader course actually involved what was involved because it, it, it's one of the less it's a very very highly respected course but if you ask general public what yeah. does UKSF selection involve they'll probably know whereas the mountain leader course is probably a little bit more of a gray area for people's understanding so you start in August 
Um, you go to Cornwall for four weeks and you get, you climb every day. You're up and down all, all the crags every day. And then at the, at the end of the day, you do some kind of fitness, which is horrible. Um, and on the Friday, the Friday fitness is, is like two or three hours. You're getting beasted. Wherever you've been climbing, you usually have to run back, carrying stretchers, sandbags, you know, ridiculous stuff back to the accommodation. So them thought them it, it was it was it was horrible. It was but it excited me that I like to be beasted. <laughs> I like I, I get off on you know blowing out my flipping back end and, and being pretty much at the front of all the time. However my, my climbing skills weren't they weren't good at all. However, my strength and pure determination, I was using my arms more than my legs and I was getting up there. So I was passing all the things that I needed to rather of rather through grit than elegance. <laughs> yeah, which which is actually a very valuable trait to possess when it comes to the, <laughs> getting through selection, doesn't it? Which you, which you ultimately revisited. So yeah. you were you were knocking were you early 30s at this point. Yeah, so I, I, I finished the mountain leaders and then I because you only get two chances to go in selection. I thought, right, I'm just there's more to me. Still, I still want more. So I wrote to the Hereford, um, the training um, team, the the, the, the the commanding officer of it, and I said, look, please, can you give me a chance? I'm a mountain leader. Um, I, I have messed up. I think it was something like eight years ago. And, I, you know, I, I wasn't ready. I wasn't developed, et cetera. Could you give me another chance? And I got the letter back saying, yep, you know, happy days. You, you've got one chance. And then I then... then I had to write back to him because I was too old. So I says, "Oh, sorry, sir. Thank you very much, but I'm 33. You have to be because you have to be 32." He goes, "You necky so and so, one chance." And I don't want to hear you, you're not the great man already, sir. I already know who you are. Oh God! So he, he gave me the chance, and yeah, thankfully, um, I went off and passed the passed it straight. Well, not straight away, but I passed it. How did you feel going into that selection course? under pressure because i can imagine that yes there's obviously pressure of going on a ukasf course because one you want to pass because then you graduate to a higher tier two the brotherhood the camaraderie around you 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 want to pass because you want to prove to them that you've got it but for you your entire life up until this point has been proving to yourself that you're capable of doing what you believe you're capable of so i can imagine that this moment was a real real big one for you in more ways than it would be for just everybody else, I can imagine. So how did you actually process the pressure leading into that course and how did that unfold as the course developed? So I, for, for me, I knew mentally that the the, 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 the physical part would be okay. It, all it would be is just don't think about what's just happened, i.e. do the day's work and then just put it put it to bed. If you think you've done something bad, don't think about it because that's what niggles you and potentially makes you want to leave. So, so my the biggest pressure for me is because I was a mountain leader. I I was meant to go onto a senior command course, uh, sorry, um, a command course for the mountain leaders, and I turned it down because I didn't want to be a mountain leader anymore. And I actually went to my old um, branch sponsor, who's the Mortars, to say, look, if I if I fail selection. I don't, when I have to come back to the Royal Marines, I, I don't, I'm not going to be a mountain leader anymore. I'm going to come back as a mortarman. Are you happy with that? And he was, that was my biggest pressure is 
if I failed, I'll have to have humble pie coming back to the unit or to the Royal Marines. I was I was a mountain leader, and now I've thrown all that away because I I've gone for something better in my eyes. But now I'm going to be a mortarman. <laughs> so that all was, you just slid all your chips into the yeah, middle of the table there, haven't you? <laughs> yeah. So that that was my that that was my pressure. Um, but during the course, yeah, the hills, I. I, I wouldn't say it's particularly easy because it's not meant to be, but I didn't, I didn't struggle that. And I just, as soon as it finished on that day, sorted my admin out and I laid or got in bed and woke and just ate in my bed. And that's, you know, I was on the bottom bunk and I put blankies up all around me. So I, I was pitch black and then put ear defenders in. And that was me until I had to be up for the next day. I didn't socialize with anybody I just fixed myself mentally and physically just rested and ate because I, I, yeah, again, I'm a smaller guy. I knew from the last time I'm a smaller guy. It's a four week um, Hills package and my weight comes off pretty, and I haven't got much weight to lose. So I was like, I need to rest it and just keep feeding, keep putting as much as I can in there and rest. And then that's what I did. And it, 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 it totally worked. And in the eight years, between first round and, and second round, had the Fizz approach in the two weeks prior at Hamworthy improved? Had that two weeks of beasting it didn't become less of a beasting? Didn't happen yeah, anymore. It, yeah. No, yeah, yeah, it didn't happen. <laughs> That'll make a huge difference. And that's what, yeah. um, I mean, with Omnia performance, whenever we have SF candidates come to us, we've been fortunate enough to have several successful applicants a lot of them that have tried and failed in the past have very much just taken the age-old attitude of I'm going to put weight on, I'm going to run as hard as I can every day. And that will beat you up into oblivion very, very quickly. And actually, you need to treat selection like like an event where you'll sort of work, work, build, 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 peak, 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 and then taper down into it so that you're in a, in a prime position to be able to actually build and tolerate that cumulative volume that finishes with the long drag. Because... We've spoken a lot with Simon Jeffries, who actually has been as bold as saying that Hills isn't really selection. Hills is the selection for the selection because the jungle is where things actually get tough, which I can imagine has irked a few people. But nonetheless, I think it's a fairly valid thing to say because at the end of the day, the jungle is something that you can prepare for. People have access to that part of Wales. People don't have access to the jungle. And that's where you really would find what you're made of. So getting through that course, how many of you started and how many of you actually got to the end of the four weeks? Um, I'm not sure on that, but the whole of selection was something like 250. And and I think going go, going to the, the jungle was probably about 50 or 60, something like that. But when I was, when I was in the jungle with, with on selection, didn't bother. That wasn't the hardest part for me. I, I'd already done in my, in my military career before. I'd done six months in Belize on operations, and I'd done Brunei twice before. So, it that wasn't that wasn't a phase for me where I thought, oh, it's, I need to start flipping worrying about because it didn't. I were you, were you confident about, when you yeah. came off the hills? Then you, yeah. you thought, I've done it. I've done it. Fantastic. I was that that was that was my that was my step because I'd failed it twice, and I I'd never got to the end of test week. I'm like, right, I'm flipping. I'm here now. I'm on the course now um, and just take a day at a time. And, you know, you, you hear people when you get to the, to the jungle, every day is a new day. Don't think of if you've messed up the, the, the day before or 
start getting any paranoia that you're not good enough or anything like that. And I, yet again, I was, I was, I was potentially left alone quite a lot. I, I was um, the patrol commander quite a lot. So I was always, well, the guys were pretty much in my troop and I, and I was, I was the, 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 the senior, well, the troop, the two IC kind of thing, the, 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 the sergeant for it. So, I was kind of left alone in 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 the in the jungle, which which was brilliant. Um, and and all the beastings and that, I was more than happy yet again. But the fireman's carriage and things like that, I was the person getting carried, so I was more than happy. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, yeah, easy, easy. Yeah, not not that I'd say at the time, but it, the jungle it, it is a hard it's hard work, but it it wasn't something that worried me that. The hardest part for me was the, the the next part where the 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 escape and evasion that was that was tough for me and i and that I didn't like that at all however on on part of the e and e I got caught and I got taken back to i guess the um, the h q kind of thing but the 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 course the course um color sergeant i can't remember his name. I knew it was him because he was saying whatever he was and I was masked up, masked up. But he started to feed me and he started to give me loads of food. I was like, oh, wow. So I was thinking to myself, he must actually like me now. He Because what he's doing is, is you would ne- I would never think I'd be getting food. <laughs> so he, he completely, and I was nearly sick because he was giving me loads and loads of food. I was more than happy. And then, then they put me back out and I was, I was toppers. I was ready to go again. So essentially, you well probably was an advantage in many ways, wasn't it? But it was also validation that you were you were worthy in many ways. If you've earned the respect yeah. of of the of the of the DS, and actually you are getting treatment that perhaps other people weren't getting, then you can sort of get through the next phase with a smile on your face, and that probably helped you overcome the inherent fear that you had around DNA, which was probably deep rooted from when you were four. In the back of the car, yeah, yeah, in many ways. So, with, with, with just whilst we're on that, how 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 did you? When, when did you actually confront the reality of the fact that you do you did have some sort of deep rooted feelings to confront around that experience when you were four years old? Because it seems like you always had a bit of an inherent the claustrophobia you've mentioned, the fact that the one part of the selection course that you really didn't like was the escape and evasion, and that does seem to all tie back to when you were younger, doesn't it, in many ways? Yeah, and I always thought that, yeah, I always thought it was something not right. But last year when my father, my real father died, and I I met a stepbrother, and he was telling me all about it. So I was like, it, it, it kind of made it real, because I, I thought it happened, but no one actually told me it happened and, you know, sat me down and said, look, that that's what happened, and and my dad passed away before I even actually could go and um, see him. Actually, I I, have, I I didn't ever see him since. So I think once my stepbrother kind of said it happened, and dad did speak about that kind of thing, uh, it just it was fine then. I thought oh, I actually know why. I kind of had them feelings in in them situations. How much peace? came from that 
from a personal point of view? Did it did it make you feel more comfortable with the fact that the discomfort you felt during E and E at the last stage of selection? I'm sure there were some circumstances in operational capacity where you felt like you were struggling. Did it make you feel validated in your feelings, or did it make you feel frustrated that you hadn't known sooner? No, validated because that that was the answer. It was the answer. It, that's that is why, it, and and it was normal to be like that because of that. Goes a long way, I'm yeah. sure, in terms of uh, knowing who you are and, and sort of the yeah. direction you want to go in now, which is fantastic. So the jungle, you were very comfortable in. And in the rest of your career with the SBS, you've become very comfortable in all extreme environments. So Arctic, desert, jungle, mountains, and everything in between. But those are sort of the big four, as it were. The, the KPMG, EY, Deloitte, and, <laughs> and, uh, and PwC of the, of the outdoor world. So... How did you find that passion for that extremity? And actually, what was the process of going from that experience in Belize, in the jungle, from selection into those four extreme environments? Because it's a very specialist corner of what you do. And you spent the next couple of years becoming an expert in that area before you ultimately specialized in in the diving side of things. So I, I really enjoy being in the mountains anyway. I like being out and being in exposure um so that that still gives me a, a a passion now to be on the hill so being out and going to different areas i.e afghanistan and things like that yeah it's a it it, it it's, it's an operation but the land is amazing the mountain it, it's it it just it's so exciting i well i find it so exciting to be in them environments it's who else? Who else can be here? Do you know what I mean? It's I'm I'm here. I'm getting paid, and I'm I'm excited to be here. Very simple, yeah. Existence in many ways, isn't it? Which yeah. is something I've experienced a few times when we've done big sort of multi-day ultras or events where actually you just shut off the outside world and just focus on covering X distance or getting your kit ready and doing X, Y, or Z. It makes life very pure in many ways and it makes yeah. you even more appreciative for the environment because you can almost switch off from the distractions inside your own head when you're in it so from a practical point of view how did you adapt to the challenges that came from the other environments because obviously being comfortable in the jungle implies that you're good at tolerating heat and humidity but the arctic is not full of heat and humidity people might not be aware sorry to insult everyone's intelligence there but it's it's essentially a very different environment isn't it so did you just jump at the experience to experience Sorry, did you just jump at the opportunity to experience new places and that just meant that by accident you became an expert in these environments or did you want to sort of become a jack-of-all-trades in all of these extreme environments as an operator or was excitement and fascination what led you forwards? So when when I was a mountain leader, I got off on going to Nor- going to Norway and being in the Arctic. I, I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed the skiing. I enjoyed... The moving moving across that terrain is just amazing. You know, I think on the final X of the Mountain Leaders course, we did over ten days, hundred and seventy kilometers. You know, and, and and various obstacles and you know ambushes and you know little operations on the way. So in that environment, I I it, it's I I, I get a, a, a buzz from it because I like I like administering myself to to make myself better because you need to in them environments so you're just not going to get anywhere and, and you're going to you know you're going to go down so potentially get you know 
getting your equipment and making all that work. And then as a mountain leader, you're teaching everybody else how to survive in them environments. So I got a kick out of that. And I think that that was the main reason why, well, a big reason when I was a mountain leader and then thinking about SF again, I was actually a bit tired of being an instructor because I, I was instructing for, you know, ski instructor, um, survival instructor, you know, mountain, 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 um, taking people up the mountains, navigation, etc. And I, I, and I thought I'm doing it for everybody else rather than, well, I'm not doing it. I enjoy being there, but I'm teaching, I'm teaching, I'm teaching. And rather than, I want a bit of me now. I want I want to get on the floor and get muddy and, 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 and do something for me. So that was another reason why I went SF as well. Do you think the pride and enjoyment you got from being a leader and teaching other people came from the fact that you didn't have that growing up? Yeah, absolutely. It was a new thing for me. And people listened to me and wanted to know about me. And getting challenged when somebody, is, you're given somebody who's never been on a, potentially a ski before, teaching them how to ski, teaching them how to survive, and teaching them how to administer themselves. Because it blatantly, if they don't, they're going to end up potentially hurt or, you know, in a bad way. Yep. Yeah, which is, which is another form of pressure, but something you've yeah. clearly become very com- comfortable with dealing with. So becoming a specialist in, in diving was obviously how your sort of career with the SBS sort of ran its yeah. course towards the end. What was the operational demand with that? Because obviously diving is a fundamental component of being in the SBS, but having that as your specialism, what did that entail from an operational point of view in terms of actual requirements? So I... I started to work in the submersible. So we'd go in the submersible, we'd, we'd go out from potentially a, a, a submarine or a ship and then go do the operation, operations in the submersible and then bring it back. And it was, whilst I was doing that in them particular, I think it was, oh, it was five years, it was so busy. We was out all the time doing, collecting stuff, uh, collecting um information or hitting something you know but we was always out and it was a it was a it was a big pressure on the family time actually because being being a specialist in that even though you're in the sbs not a lot of people actually want to be underwater weirdly so yeah, there's, there's yeah. only there's only a, there's only pretty much a handful of people who have continuously developed themselves and do that kind of work. So we was out and about all the time. So were you in a supportive capacity for those on the ground, or were you essentially in a more of a reconnaissance and stealth capacity? Yeah, given was, that you were spending so much time underwater. Yeah, so we'd be out finding information and and sending it back, rather than. Um, a direct. So where was the highest concentration of work that you ended up doing in that capacity? Was it in specific oceans? Was it in certain parts of the world? Was it for specific outputs or was it constantly varied? It was, it was varied. Absolutely varied. Um, yeah. There, there was a lot of, there's a lot of work in the Mediterranean. But uh, Any, any uh, experiences akin to potentially the one that the, our five billionaires have recently experienced any way you found yourself in a ropey situation that really stick in your memory. I'm not suggesting that you've gone down a submersible. That's not no. without insurance as those guys have done, but I'm, <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure there's points where you'll find yourself thinking, 
as any SF operator will have done, oh God, what's about to happen here? And being underwater is a very vulnerable place to be. Yeah, so one of my memories, well, it, it was horrendous. I was, I, I was, I was the, uh, the the navigator in the submersible at the time, and the actual dive set I had on, it has, um, it, it was a rebreather, and so when you breathe in it, it gets scrubbed by uh, the soda line. But the soda lime, if it comes out and, and touches water, it's it's acid and it burns. So what what happened? My set uh, malfunctioned, and it was in my mouth that, and it came, it, it comes up and, and into, into your mouth. But as it came into my mouth, I pulled it out and got the spare from from the submersible, which is fine. However, I had a dry suit on, and it the the, the set was because it's round your neck. It, the stuff cuts came out and started burning on my neck. So the the the, the rubber part on my neck. I I I wear a I wear a, I've got a beard at the moment, but I, when when I shave, I've got scars all around here where it all melted and and I was underwater as well. So I had to safely bring it back and then get it back to the ship and there's no quick way of doing anything like that. You just got to take it. So yeah, yeah, that doesn't sound very difficult environment to not panic in, and yeah. I can imagine the, the claustrophobia you've mentioned. I can imagine underwater yeah. feeling very claustrophobic. I mean, whenever I'm open water swimming and I can no longer see the bottom, I get that sort of overwhelming sense of claustrophobia, and that's without the risk of acid burning my throat. So I can't really empathise with that side of things, but I can imagine the panic that's set in there. Did you did you go into a sense of panic, or did your training allow you to just see things for what they were neutrally and just come up with a plan to to resolve the situation? No, I, I I didn't panic because you don't go that deep in them anyway, so it's not it, that that isn't the problem. That I, I had to keep keep my head because there's other people in the in the in with you. So me doing something particularly wrong, I'm not putting myself at risk. I'm potentially putting other people at risk. So it's more of keep my level headedness and keep it going. And and you know what the you know what to do. Because if you don't, if that starts going deep six, it's just, it's not me who's going. It's everyone else. We're all going. So it's that it's that bond. Uh, yet yeah, again, you're doing it for everybody else. You're taking that hit because everybody else has to get out there with you. You've got to bring everybody to the surface safely. Terrifying in many ways, but also reassuring that knowing that you're responsible for others actually helps you have more clarity of decision. In, in that capacity because it allows you to see things for, for what they are rather than doing what human beings tend to do, which is immediately catastrophize. But that comes with the training, doesn't it? So yeah. given that you've become so neutral and objective about how to approach situations, what was the process like leaving the military and, and sort of adapting to civilian life? Because it's a very, very different way of existing. And that can often come with its challenges for, for those that leave the military. I've spoken to a lot of guys on this podcast specifically and out with that, that have struggled or those that have had a plan because you obviously have a year to plan um, with your notice period. But how did you cope and what were the initial challenges for you as an individual? So for me, once I put my notice in to leave, I, get, I, was, I had two years. And in that two years, I just networked. Absolutely. That's all I did. Built it, built up my LinkedIn profile and just kept on going to places and meeting people, which led to me getting a job 
uh, as a project manager before I actually left. So I was leaving in the April of 2019 and I joined project manager job in January. So for, for me, the trans, I, 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 I didn't want a space. So I, I wanted to get straight in there and get on with it. And, you know, people say, you know, get have six months off and I'm like, I can't. But firstly, I've, I'm the only provi- I'm the provider in my family, so I need to be out and providing. So I, I went straight into a job. I, I think the and I I wanted to be a civvy. That's what I thought I wanted to be. Um, hindsight, I did that for a couple of years. Working in the hardest thing for me was working in an office with people and learning how to speak to people, which that's mass. People don't realise how hard that is coming from a, a vast um, 27 years in the military, then coming to sit and actually try and talk to people without upsetting anybody uh, and getting in trouble and, and working with females, which it sounds easy, but it's really hard. You, you, you've just got to, the banter's not there because you can't do the banter because you might get in trouble by saying, or ups, yeah, upsetting people and getting the sack. You, you've you've been so used to doing things one way for so long, and actually at key pivotal moments in the development of a human being's life. So going into what might seem quite a mundane, contrasted existence, I can imagine was really tough. And you're right; in many ways, you'll just be hardwired to say certain things or communicate in certain ways that will not translate well to an environment that has an HR department, <laughs> because yeah, yeah. HR departments probably wouldn't like a lot of what the chat is in the military. And whilst none of it's intentionally offensive, it's just it's just brash, isn't it? There's a lot; it's yeah. very matter of fact, it's very reactive, and that is actually all there to support one another mm. and actually fit with the narrative. But yeah, I, I I can imagine that was a challenge. So, how did you? take action to sort of get more from yourself because you felt like it wasn't for you. You're struggling in that environment and now you spend your time doing things differently, don't you? Yeah. So I, I left that environment. Um, and then I went into security. I, I, I thought, right, I'm going to go back to something I actually know and I'm comfortable with. Not, 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 not comfortable, but something I could, I, I'm good at. So I went into security for, for the next couple of years. I, I, I was with a, a family, a royal family, and I enjoyed it because I was back with the guys who I served with as well, which was very comforting. I, 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 I didn't realise I'd missed them, <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I had. Because when I left, I pretty much, I didn't mean to, but I cut it off quite a lot. And I didn't, there's a, I didn't go to meet people because North Lincoln is out the way. There's nobody near me who, who are former kind of XSF people anyway. So I'm on my own. So I, I never... It's my fault as well. I never went out of my way to go and meet my old mates. Uh, I did keep in touch, but I never, I never, yeah, I never went out of my way. But so meeting them again and working back in that environment, back at a top level again, because it, it, the, 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 there's, there's a real threat here because the people were looking after the, there is a big threat, which was, and that, and that was really exciting. Being, I'd, being at the top of it, I went straight to the top of, of the ladder again being being at the level and and that was that felt where amazing you, where, where you felt you belonged yeah ways, yeah isn't it yeah yeah absolutely so I, w- I was back in it uh and i and i totally enjoyed that i did that for, for two years pretty much and then i left that to to go and pursue stuff for myself because i was thinking i can actually do this myself now as well i.e have my own company get 
get people to do it for me and pick pick and choose who I want to be with. So, and I've been doing that for the last um, few months, which which has been amazing. And 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 I got I, I got a role actually um, a few months ago to go back. Oh, not to go back to, but to go to Ukraine for for for, for three weeks, looking after some media reporters and the buzz the buzz and the the excitement going back out into a theater potentially well, yeah into into a theater was was very rewarding and 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 I, I mean it's something I, I'm glad I did I'm not saying I go that out there all the time but I'm glad I did it because how going through the steps of of, of where I am I'm 50 years old now and I was pretty much Jumping around Ukraine, looking after looking after people and protecting people, they give me a massive, a massive buzz. And and people, people are still calling me and asking me to do them kind of stuff as well. I'm like, I left the military because I had too many lives, so I'm not going to potentially put myself in that situation anymore. But I can I can now get people to do that for me, which. I, I and find, you, yeah. you feel like you're the best version of yourself and you're that person at the top yeah. and you can do it on your own terms, which yeah. is probably the best place to be in the grand yeah. scheme of things, isn't it? And I, Absolutely. And a couple of weeks ago, I got a call to go and look after a a celebrity who's, who's on tour in the UK. And that's right back up to that. Like, this is amazing. I'm, I'm, I'm sat with this person who's worldwide known from everybody and talking to me as if I'm their mate, you know. So... I still get, a, I still got a lot of energy and passion, and and to keep up at a level, whatever I'm doing, I want to be up there because I've got so much to offer. And and on the other side, when they, when they're talking to me and they don't know me, but the the quote, see my CV and things, you know, they give me all the respect. And I'm like, and it's two ways. Then it's not just a client; it's you actually like me, who I am as well. You know, it, it's great. It's it's that contribution to a community, however small, that you were missing growing up, that you found in the military, that you can now replicate as a civilian, which yeah. is which is phenomenal. So well done, well done for putting yourself in such a great position. But just to finish up, for those that are listening, what is the biggest lesson that you've taken from your time in the military that you believe is applicable to civilian life? Uh, family, I. The military pretty much took my family from me and I didn't spend time with them. And now I've left, I'm a family man, which that, I put the military first for a very long time. And I think you need to, potentially as an SF dude, because you can't think about who's at home and worrying and, and all that kind of stuff. So now, for, 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 for me, it's family and family time and patching up because all them years have gone. Um, and from my upbringing, the first 16 years, I don't want anybody that I know to go through that. that, that, that that's, my, that's, my, that's, what, that's what I want. You know? and, and, and people do say, I, I potentially, I spoil my kids, but they don't know the reasons. The reasons are I, I was in that flipping um, skip for trying to find food. My my kids can eat what they want. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, do you know, do you know what I mean? Yeah, but, yeah. They're, they're not living off bottles of. No, corn no, yeah, from, uh, yeah, exactly, yeah. 
from uh, uh, and, w- w- Wakefield Wines, which actually not, yeah. isn't isn't a million miles away from Scunthorpe, <laughs> yeah. is it? <laughs> no, absolutely. And 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 the only the only holiday. Well, I never I, I never had a holiday, so we go as a kid. So I, I got my first passport when I joined the corps. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So taking my children out to places that they've never been to, I get a buzz from that as well. Family first, fantastic yeah. place to finish. So, Pasha, really enjoyed that. Some fantastic insights and some things that I've definitely taken away, and I'm sure others have too. If anyone wants to reach out or find out more about what you're up to these days, what is the best place for them to go? Uh, well, LinkedIn. I've got a li- great LinkedIn. Well, I think it's a great LinkedIn profile. <laughs> People can find out for themselves. You've made them curious now. So, yeah, I will put your LinkedIn details in the show notes down below. But once again, thank you very much, and we will speak very soon. Super, thank you.